I invite you now to take a Bible and to open it to Psalm 9. If you're using one of the Bibles there in the pew, it'll be on page 421, where we will read together Psalm 9. It reads, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence, for you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me, O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk in the pit that they made, in the net that they hid their own feet has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. The wicked shall return to Sheol all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. And the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord, and let the nations know that they are but men. And that will conclude our reading for this morning. This psalm is unique in that if you only read the opening uh, two verses, uh, you might conclude uh, that this psalm comes uh, to us on an occasion when the writer is just having one of the best periods of his life. That this is either a really good day or a really good week or a really good season, and there's just this overflow of praise that we read in verses 1 and 2. I will give thanks with my whole heart. I'll recount all your wonderful deeds. I'll be glad and exult in you. And I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. And only when you then go further into the psalm do you realize the psalmist is not having a great day or a great week or a great season. I think more often than not, the Psalms actually begin in a posture of lament. There's a questioning, where are you, God? Why am I going through this? And as you continue, by the end, you often get to a place where the psalmist 
after expressing a lot of that concern and questioning and doubt and anxiety, gets to a place of praise. And this psalm is unique in that it's flipped. It begins in such uh, determined and passionate praise that as you continue to read it, uh, if you're honest, you start to get thrown off by the fact that, wait a minute, it, this actually, this seems like somebody who's going through a lot uh, and who's having a profound amount of challenges. Described later when he is asking in verse 13 that God be gracious to him, that God would see his affliction from those who hate him, that God would lift him up from the gates of death. And so that gives us a little bit more of the context and the window in which the psalmist is actually experiencing life in the moment, which all the more highlights how amazing it is that there is this determined and passionate praise that he still offers to God as the psalm opens up. And so uh, another song that has been in my head all week because last Sunday night uh, our family had the opportunity to go to a song service at the church where Amy and I actually met one another. And it was an evening song service and one of the songs that was sung, I hadn't sung in a long time in Near My God to Thee. And so then as I sang that, I said, oh, I, that'll become uh, the hymn for the week in our home to, to go through each night before bed. And it's, it's been a joy uh, to work through that song. But I think the psalmist is expressing uh, much of what then that later hymn writer would communicate. There is this longing for the nearness of God. And so that's the first thing we see in this psalm. There, the psalmist is opening by expressing the desire that to be near to the Lord. And so with his whole heart, he's going to sing and recount all of his wonderful deeds and be glad and exult and sing praise to his name. And if you know the hymn, then you know the next line that's coming. But here again, if you don't know it or allow yourself to forget it for a moment and just pause and say, what are the experiences that help us sense the nearness of God? Superficially, we'd think, well, a really good day when the sunrise is beautiful and the coffee is just right and everybody seems to be in a good mood because they had a good night of sleep. Surely aren't those the moments where we experience the nearness of God the most? And surely if we allow ourselves to, we should be able to, right? We shouldn't take for granted a sunrise and uh, the, a good cup of coffee and the companionship of other people. All of those things should cause us to say, thank you, Lord. I do sense your nearness in the goodness of what's before me. But there is a way for us also to experience his nearness and at times more so when that's not our reality. Uh, and I was at a conference uh, for most of this week and I was sharing a bit of a story with somebody who I was uh, meeting at the conference and he told me about uh, the story I was telling him made him think of this story and then when I watched the story that he had referenced I thought this is much closer to the circumstances in which this psalm was written and so uh, watch this uh, brief video of a modern day context of what is much more the occasion of what Psalm 9 was written in. reflect back on the journey of my life, I think about how God directed me to Kampala for that workshop. 
I had a burden for my church to give from their hearts and not out of duty. But I never thought it would take such a horrible situation for me and my town to realize that we all needed to change. In 2001, the ADF army overtook many regions of Western Uganda, forcing over 80,000 survivors into the turmoil and destitution of refugee camps. As the war raged on, hope along with the moral fiber of the people faded. But there was one who chose to inspire through generosity and gracious giving, and this is his story. My name is Huntington Bahemuka. But most people call me Bishop Huntington. The life in the camps was very bad because families would crowd in the shack houses, children would go without food for one, two, three days, water was not available, and death started resulting within a short time. <laughs> How can I, Lord? How can I help them out of this situation? While everything around him was disintegrating, war could not destroy Hennington's commitment to effective stewardship. The Lord spoke to my heart about putting into practice what I had learned at the International Steward Workshop. I had been told that everything we have belongs to God. So even in this refugee camp, God has put abundant resources for his work. So I called upon the believers to start sharing what they have with the needy. In the camps, we started a campaign to provide blankets to the orphans, and it was the first time we saw the principles come to life. After two miserable years in captivity, it was safe to return home to Bundibujo only to find that all had been destroyed. The houses had been torn down, the farms had nothing in them, churches had been demolished, schools were devastated, so we started from scratch. The need seemed too great, leaving the people asking the all too common question, how can the people from the West help us? However, Huntington inspired his people to ask a different question. I asked, how soon can my people rise to the challenge of funding not only their immediate needs, but their futures as well? I told the people at that time that God has given us everything we need to rebuild our community. And what he needed was others to make themselves available to him, and he was going to use us. And those of us who are mechanics, those of us who are business people, they can use their gifts and the trade that they have to build their community. Taught us about giving, and through that, the pastors went around teaching. So, through that, the message was spread. One by one, person by person, the idea caught on, and before they knew it, the town was being transformed. 
we began to rebuild our churches, provided homes and schooling for the orphans, and the needs of the people were met. There's a few more minutes to the video, which you can look up online afterwards. But it is a powerful testimony of people of faith dealing with the circumstances described in Psalm 9. Those who are poor and oppressed. Those who are wondering if they are, in fact, forsaken. But believing that the God who has made them knows their needs, and if they believe that he has not forsaken them, then there is an opportunity to experience his nearness even though it be a cross that raiseth me. That's how the hymn continues. And at times we experience his nearness all the more, and it comes to us in special ways when we recognize the depth of that need, when we've come to the end of our own resources and say, God, uh, without you, we just can't make it. And this is the experience not just of a few in a, in a distant land. This is the experience of many in our own day. This is what so many people are going through in Ukraine right now. This is what many people are wondering as they're picking up the rubble in Turkey and in Syria. This is when I woke up this morning and the article that was sent to me from the paper that I read regularly was on the amount of illegal migrant labor that is happening in our country. Uh, that all of us are buying products produced by 12-year-olds working within our borders in this open secret that we do not seem to be able to get our heads around in how to actually mitigate and alleviate. The poor, the oppressed, the hurting are still among us. And often when we experience that suffering, we are wondering is God still with us? Does he care and does he know? And the scriptures regularly tell us, written by those who have gone through that suffering and that oppression, that they hold on to their faith and believe that God does know and God does care. I invite you to take your Bible and open to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Where we'll get a New Testament equivalent of Psalm Nine in the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll pick it up in verse 6. This is on page 907 in the Pew Bible. So first, the good news. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus, and bring us with you into his presence. 
for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may be increased thanksgiving to the glory of God. In verse 16, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are seen unseen are eternal that same uh, message we could get in James chapter 1 when there James tells us to count it all joy when we face trials of various kinds this call from the Old Testament to the New to cling to God and to experience his nearness and his goodness in our times of need and suffering. It still puzzles us why we go through the things that we do or why the suffering happens that is all around us. But in those moments when we might be tempted to think he has abandoned us or that we should abandon him, the the scriptures encourage us to actually cling to him, to draw closer to him, to find that he is a refuge for those who are weary. So this is back in Psalm 9. It says, The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in the times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. This is our hope. This is the good news that we hold out to the world, that we can worship him in spite of all of the challenges that life brings to us because we believe he has not forsaken us, that he does know our needs. In fact, he's especially there for us in our needs. He's a stronghold for us in those times of need. And so then it should be no surprise then when uh, our Lord would come in flesh and blood himself and he would have the opportunity at his home congregation to take the scriptures and to open them up that he would announce good news to those who are experiencing all of these challenges. So if you turn with me to Luke chapter 4. You with me will have this opportunity to hear Jesus bring a message to his people. This is on page 807. In verse 16. It says, And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? 
And that's where we'll conclude. What a message of good news. That we can experience the nearness of God even though it is a cross that often comes into our path that leads to that nearness. And as the hymn goes on, and so still all my songs shall be near my God to thee. Here Jesus is announcing the good news, inviting people to continue to worship him, that he has come. He doesn't give them an answer for why they experience their poverty or their captivity or their blindness or their oppression. But he knows about it and he cares about it. Cares about it enough that he came to give his own life, to give hope to each and every one of us. That we would know that that poverty, that oppression, that struggle and doubt, that blindness and captivity would not define us forever. And so we read Psalm 9 in light of Psalm 8, where the psalmist there is amazed that God has made us in his image, that he does care for each and every one of us, that he has crowned us with glory and honor. And even though and many times we don't feel that, very few of us look into a mirror and think, wow, you've crowned me with glory and honor. We believe that by faith, that he knows us and he cares about us. I loved singing in uh, choirs uh, growing up in school. I loved four-part harmony in church growing up. Uh, and when I think of a choir and, you know, sort of standing in the bass and the tenor and the alto and soprano, when I read Psalm 9 along with these other passages, I imagine in the future a choir. Can you imagine what it's going to sound like when the poor and the oppressed and the captive and the blind and the lame sing for joy when they worship in the fullness of the redemption that only Jesus can offer to the world I want to start singing that song now and I want to be there when it's sung then. Don't you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and its good news to us that we don't have to turn a blind eye to the challenges and the suffering that are all around us, that we can grieve the gates of death and hell that cause so much pain and suffering in our world. That even in our time of worship, we don't have to ignore that or pretend like it doesn't exist, that we can uh, have our eyes wide open, have our hearts laid bare before you in all of our wrestling and wondering. But we also thank you, Father, that you don't leave us to ourselves, you don't limit us to our own perspectives, but that you offer us hope beyond this life, that though we are persecuted, we are not forsaken. That though we are suffering, you have not left us to despair. So, Father, we would pray that you would help us collectively to not lose heart, so that we can be agents of yours in continuing to carry the good news 
to all those who are hurting. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.